0: up everybody hope you're having a great day welcome back to the raw prospect podcast my name is emmy nixon today is november 3rd this is episode 82 and joining me from austin texas the stat king himself michael lean what is up
1: it's a cold and rainy day here in the atx however as always every wednesday we are ready to talk football Our week nine picks coming uh, a little bit later. But first, we have to talk about uh, what happened. What transpired in the 2021 World Series. The 2021 baseball season has now come to a full conclusion. And the Atlanta Braves, the 88-win Atlanta Braves, are World Series champions. So we're going to kick it off with reactions to that maybe talk a little bit and then we'll get into our pace uh, and be on the lookout for much more content coming uh, probably this weekend. Uh, NBA basketball episode coming. Be on the lookout for that. And then also I appreciate all the uh, views Be getting on uh, San Antonio Spurs mini-studios. That's been we appreciate every single one of you um, and hit the like and subscribe button if you like our content. Right.
0: And, uh, and consider leaving a five star rating on uh, exactly. Apple and whatever podcast app you may be listening on, because that really helps us as well.
1: For sure. OK, yeah. so let's start with this basic question. How much of the World Series did you actually watch? Um, I watched,
0: like, the final five innings of game one, game three, and game five. Okay. And then I watched the final three innings of game six after it was already not really a game. Um, okay. But I kind of got the feel of what was kind of going on in the series. Um, to me, it was basically, um, the Braves made a decision to go with, um, their group of bullpen pitchers in game five so that they could have, um, who, who pitched in game six? Max Uh, Freed. Yeah. Max Freed. So they could have Max Freed on full rest is basically what happened in my eyes pretty much. And then from there, he's uh, he just was dealing the whole night and closed it out. Um, I mean, that Braves offense could do the bare minimum, and they still would have won it. So, um, props to him. I mean, he he pitched an amazing game.
1: There's so much that we could go into here. Yeah. Um, take a time. I'm just going to keep it more to an Atlanta Braves. Um, perspective, I just want to talk about like, the overall bigger picture implications of this championship for them um, and for the city of Atlanta as a whole. Uh, but before I do that, just a couple things on the Astros. Number one, um, Carlos Correa officially a free agent, um, one of the best relatively young shortstops in the game. And we're going to have extended uh, offseason baseball coverage uh, this winter, uh, more than we usually do, uh, for a fact. But one thing I will say is this shortstop class, we've never seen anything like it. Um, There are four or five star shortstops now officially free agents. And you know the importance of the shortstop position, even if you're like just a casual baseball fan. You're not really intimate with the game. And Carlos is one of the, if not the best, years old. He's super clutch. So that's like the biggest storyline uh, going into the offseason uh, for Houston is can they retain Carlos Correa? Because it's likely that he's going to be asking for somewhere north of like a 10-year, $300 million contract. Um, or do one of these shortstop needy teams uh, outbid them for Rea? It's like the number one biggest storyline in Houston. But otherwise, look at the next year, just bigger picture, the Astros are still going to be in the playoff hunt. They're probably going to make the playoffs again. Uh, you look at this series, they didn't have Lance McCullers for the majority of the ALCS. Um, against the Red Sox, and they didn't have him for any of this series against the Braves, and that, you know, he was their ace this year. Um, and it's really hard to be like the Braves when you don't have your ace, and that really set their pitching back. That put a lot of stress on their bullpen. And the bullpen performed well, just not as well as the Braves' bullpen, which was basically insane. Um, so, sure... You're still looking at a pretty good team going forward, uh, but the Correa storyline is a huge one going off season. But we'll get way more into that down the line. Now, from a Braves perspective, first World Series title, first championship in Atlanta since 1995, first time in 26 years. Uh, Absolutely um, incredible. I can't tell you how happy I am for the fans in Atlanta in general. I mean, you think of all they've had to suffer through. Um, Georgia football, uh, losing in the national championship. The Falcons, we all know what happened to them in the Super Bowl. Uh, The Hawks, I know it's been a while since they've, you know, I mean, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They have a young team, but they've been bad for so many years. And they made all those Eastern Conference Finals all those years ago. And then the Braves, Uh, they've been so close so many times. Last year, holding a 3 1 lead on the Dodgers and the NLCS, ended up losing that series in seven games. This year, they get the job done. Uh, It's a pretty amazing story. Uh, I think this was a good team, a really good team, but an even better story. I wouldn't call it a great team uh, because they didn't have Cunha. Uh, there's a possibility that if they had cunha, it could have been a great team. But I think this was a really good team that got hot at the right time. They were 47-23 and 23 over their final 70 games, including the postseason. Um, so they got hot at the right time. It was just a great story. And to go a little deeper into that, you look at the circumstances they had to overcome lost to Kuna Jr., who at the time that he got hurt was leading the entire National League in wins above replacement or a metric called war that you hear a lot in baseball. Uh, he was leading the entire National League in that metric, basically saying uh, he was the best player in the National League at that point in time that he tore his ACL. They lost him. They lost Mike Soroka, a young pitcher who was supposed to be their ace. Um, they lost him to a torn Achilles. Uh, their record was 52 and 55. They were three games below 500 the day after the trading deadline. Uh, and they didn't have a winning record until August 6th. That was the first time they touched the surface of above 500. Uh, and they ended up, as I said, Going on this huge run, which is incredible, and they were they had the worst record uh, of any team that made the playoffs this season, National League or American League. They beat the Blue Jays in the American League, who didn't make the playoffs as well. So it's a pretty incredible story. Uh, Give credit where credit is due to the general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, who went out at the trade deadline, and it was sort of weird, uh, but it was weird at the time. They went out, didn't make major moves, any household names, uh, but they went out, they rebuilt the outfield, um, acquired four outfielders, uh, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall. Jorge Soler, name that baseball fans, um, like casual baseball fans, wouldn't have known if this didn't happen. Uh, And, look, it's rare that a trade deadline actually has a tangible impact on a championship team, and this is exactly what the case was this year for Atlanta. Those four players, they combine to carry this team, to the championship. Uh, They combined for 56% of the Atlanta Braves postseason RBIs, which is absolutely insane, and 52% of the Atlanta Braves home home runs in the postseason. Absolutely incredible. And they're also the first team ever to acquire both A LCS MVP and a World Series MVP at the trade deadline. Uh, That would be Eddie Rosario beating the ALCS MVP and Jorge Soler being the World Series MVP. Absolutely incredible all around. I'm not going to go on too long, but just absolutely incredible. Uh, And they're the second team ever, just to wrap this up, to beat – three 95-plus-win teams on their way to a World Series championship. They had to beat the 95-win Brewers. Uh, They had to face that brutal uh, pitching staff. Uh, They had to beat the 106-win L.A. Dodgers, the favorites coming into this thing. They did that, and they did it relatively easy. Uh, And they had to beat this Astros team, which – for the entirety of this uh, baseball season, was the deepest and best lineup in the entire uh, Major League Baseball. And they overcame it all. Just incredible, incredible story, good team. And I think this is one that we'll remember uh, for a a long time. Uh, And for the Braves themselves, they have their own star. Baseman. Star first baseman who won the National League MVP just last season. Uh, right. I, although it was a shortened season, he he won that MVP. He's one. Of, it also just one of the, like the, I think he's one of the, like he's become possibly one of my personalities in sports. If you listen to his like yeah. interviews and his press conferences, he's a funny guy. He just gets it. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that the Braves uh, pay him because he's the cornerstone of that franchise, along with uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Right. So that's all I really have to say. Yeah, it, they, they caught
0: lightning in the bottle. I mean, and they really did. Um, you mentioned like the fact that they lost Ronald Acuna Jr., and, and also like where they were at um, pretty late in the season, pretty late in the summer. Um, August 6th, like that's pretty deep into the season there. That's probably like a hundred games in. So like just, it just shows how important having a deep pitching staff is because you never know when your hitting can get hot and they made the moves of the trade in line and then combined that with a little bit of heat with the bats. Then that was it.
1: One more thing I have to say, the incredible thing about this pitching staff, and think about this, they they lost Charlie Morton uh, for the season or for the rest of the series in game one uh, when he took a grounder uh, right back up the middle off his fibula and ended up having to miss the rest of the series and probably, you know, some of next season with the fractured fibula, um, which is just incredible and he actually ended up striking out three more uh astros batters after the fact uh after he fractured his uh fibula i guess he didn't seem to know it was fractured adrenaline just took adrenaline, over yeah yeah but absolutely incredible but the pitching staff and i talked about like all the all of the uh Statistics and all the metrics said that this Astros lineup was the best and the deepest lineup in baseball coming in. They led all of Major League Baseball in OPS, which is like the key metric that you measure uh, teams by nowadays. Uh, they were top five in batting average, uh, first in run score and this Braves pitching staff. Without Charlie Morton and Mike Soroka for most of the series. Uh, every win that they had, all four of their wins, they held the Astros to two runs or less. They held that offense to two runs or less in every single win of this series. Just absolutely incredible. Um, so credit to them, man. All aspects. The general manager, um, the the manager, uh, Brett Snicker, uh, and all of, all of the players. All aspects. The lineup. Uh, these trade acquisitions, the bullpen nails, so, uh, even on you know short-handed, short rest, all of that. Right. They yeah. overcame it, and that's what you had to do to win the World Series. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint like some of these other sports that we talk about. It's a marathon. And a For sure.
0: Yeah, and you have to really be able to manage um, yeah. the load on these pitchers. Um, but one one thing I will say before we move on is, um, I'm just like thinking back to some of the coverage we had on baseball in the preseason um, or spring training in baseball, not preseason. Um, a lot of the talk we had was that baseball was very top heavy. And you know what? I mean, with how this season played out, maybe it just wasn't as top heavy as we thought. I mean, you had, three of the most um three of the best teams in baseball really teams that we did not see coming at all the Braves who won the world series then San Francisco Giants who won 107 yeah. games and then the Red Sox who made it to the ALCS yeah and yeah. and took to took the Astros
1: to the brink um exactly and last thing i'll say and we got to move on If you look at all four major sports in uh, in America today—the MLB, the NFL, the NBA, and the um, NHL—last 21 seasons has had 15 different teams win the win the World Series. And you think that that's than any other of these leagues. The NFL's had 11 teams, the NBA's had 11 teams. And the NHL has had 12 teams. Uh, Baseball's had 15 teams. And that's all despite the fact that it seems like every year we say baseball is sort of top-heavy. But in reality, and we've seen two of the past three years now, think about the Nationals a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, no one expected them to, to make a run, and they did. Uh, the fact is, once you get to the postseason, it's – it's a it's a crap shoot it really is
0: yeah yeah that's the beauty of the wild card
1: i guess
0: but uh yeah that'll do it for our baseball segment um yeah i think we had some pretty interesting conversation there i'm, I'm looking forward to our our uh, off-season baseball stuff because i think um for me someone who's still trying to get into baseball um if I'm able to follow the offseason, all the moves that are going on, I'll I'll be able to know know the league a lot better, just based on like yeah. where all it'll the get, stars are at. So
1: it'll get you in a better position going into spring training, right? Exactly. Um, and it's a it's a great free agency class. I mean, it really is. So really, I know a couple of years ago we had the great pitching class with like Garrett Cole and all those guys. Uh, this year, it's more like position players. Uh, but there are – there will be trades as well, of course. Uh, and baseball is different than any other any other sport. Once once the World Series ends, everyone's a free agent. Anyone can be signed at any time. Free agency starts directly after the World Series game concludes. Uh, it's probably going to be a while because – you know, there's this they're 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 going to negotiate a new uh, collective bargaining agreement, and it's likely that uh, the National League is going to. Uh, they're no longer going to have pitchers hit, which will help the game a lot, and there are a lot of like rules up for negotiation and all that stuff. Uh, so it could be a while before we get our like first slew of free agency news, but once we do, we're going to be talking about those on on this podcast.
0: Definitely. Yeah, so great baseball season, but um, that's going to do it for that. We're going to move on to our football Um, week nine here. Uh, So first game Thursday night, it's Jets at Colts. Um, Mike White starting it, starting a quarterback for the Jets. Of course, coming off that bit, that upset win against the Bengals, and then Indianapolis coming off the heartbreak uh, exactly uh, against
1: the Titans. The Titans, yeah. You start with this one. I'm going to pull something up real fast. What do you think?
0: Um. Well. This one's, this one's tough because um, I think if the Colts do the right things, um, they should be able to cover, um, but it's just, it's difficult because you saw the Bengals sit back in their zone coverages and Mike White just picked them apart. So if, if the Colts aren't careful and they, they take this game a little bit lightly, then uh I mean, the Jets could keep this close, um, but I'm not going to bet on that. I think um, the strength of the Jets defensively um, doesn't match up as well against this Colts team. They have their offensive line back healthy. They have Eric Fisher in the lineup as well as Quentin Nelson now. So I think this Colts team is going to be able to run the football, get their play action game going. and It seems like the Colts are, I mean, despite that loss to Tennessee, they're starting to find themselves. Um, And we saw last week the Bengals, they were a team that was a little bit shaky um, and some of their, um, some of their coaching questions that we had for them coming into the year kind of showed themselves. Um, and I, I don't think those kind of problems will happen for the Colts. So I'm taking the Colts to cover.
1: Yeah, you, you just sort of feel like um, – and look, last week, who would have thought? I mean, both of our locks last week got screwed by backup quarterbacks. You, Tampa Bay, by a Trevor, Trevor Simeon. It, you know, I just kind of sort of forgot that New Orleans is, seems to be uh, Tom Brady's kryptonite. I just sort of forgot that when we were talking about the game this year. He's now 0-3, uh, aside from my, the playoffs, I guess. 0-3 in the regular season uh, against New Orleans now. Um, but, yeah, and then who would have thought that Mike White in his first ever NFL start would have thrown for... 400 yards against the Bengals defense and who would have thought they would win that game, uh, when they were down by 11 with four minutes left. I mean, it's just absolutely insane.
0: Right. I don't and even think the Jets to, thought it because they, they were the ones that traded for Joe Flacco.
1: Exactly. And I mean, look, in addition to that, and I know they beat the Jaguars, but Geno Smith and then, uh, Cooper Rush both played really well and they won their games as well. Uh, But, yeah, I think I have to agree with you. Um, The Colts did lose uh, T.Y. Hilton uh, and safety Kari Willis to injuries in that devastating loss to the Titans, but I do agree with you. This running game for the Colts is going to get – they're going to pound the Jets. They really have to have this game now. Um, It's on a short week, which I do worry about, but they're at home might you know it might be different if, it, if this game we're going to be played uh, in new york but they're at home uh and it was just sort of an embarrassing way to lose uh that game last week and i think a veteran veteranish team like the colts uh will know how to uh rebound from that and i actually aside from some of these weird losses i mean the the weird loss to Baltimore a couple weeks ago where they had that game in the bag and ended up losing, and then last week against the Titans. uh, It's just, I feel like they're a better team. They're playing better football than their record shows. And outside of now two bad games against the Titans, you look at Carson Wentz's numbers outside of the two games against Tennessee, and it's like MVP uh caliber quarterback i mean seriously so i think i think he'll have a rebound game i see jonathan taylor going for a plus and i think i think the uh the colts will win by uh two plus touchdowns touchdowns 14 17 points i do worry about like a a backdoor cover by the jets though that's what i do worry about yeah and
0: i worry about um maybe that Jets defensive line waking up a little bit, but um, they haven't seemed to be too consistent. And I like this Colts offensive line. And um, one other thing is you mentioned yourself. I mean, I feel like you've been more right about the Colts than I was, even though I've been more right about their record. In terms of the play on the field, you've been absolutely right about them being a playoff caliber team. They just haven't won these close games. So, maybe next yeah.
1: week, since since this NFL season is eighteen weeks, maybe next week we'll do like a mid season thing where we, you know, how we did that panic meter episode a couple yeah. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we we should do something like that, that again next week, just to like gauge, some the pack, wild card-ish teams. Uh, but we'll we'll do that next week. Right. Uh, so agree. our next game is at. Well, Atlanta Falcons at Trevor simeon led New Orleans Saints. Um, for new, uh, what do you think, yeah,
0: man? Um, well, I'll, I'll say this to lead off. I think Sean Payton is unquestionably the front runner for Coach of the Year. Um, I mean everything that he's had to deal with in terms of roster changes and um, finding ways to move the ball on offense with, with this inexperience of a receiving core Um, and, and with a quarterback like Jameis Winston, like it's, it's been an incredible job. Um, But now it's going to be, now it's going to get even tougher because now it's Trevor Simeon in that quarterback. But I still think, it's the same things. They're still going to rely on this defense and they're still going to try to lean on Alvin Kamara. Um, So I'm, you know, I, I kind of see the, the saints and the Steelers in a similar light. Like they put up like 23 points and we're going to pound you with our defense and, and scrap out wins like that. But I don't know. I just think uh, it's so tough because I, I I think the Falcons just had an off game last week. I mean, if you look at them, uh, their ability to get to Kyle Pitts last week. I mean, they they had him open a few times. They just weren't hitting him. Like, right. oh man,
1: you know what my logic is on this? It, it's tough, um, yeah. but and it, it as we know, it's really hard to uh, um, the Falcons. Uh, But you know what? And this is just kind of like stupid logic or whatever you want to call it. I think the CNA is energized now by the fact that the Braves uh, won the World Series. Uh, I think the Falcons... ...to ever play. um, But... You know, going into that game, it averaged 30-plus points per game in their three prior outings uh, before last week. So I think this offense will sort of find a way to move the ball, and they'll feel it close. Um, my, my question really lies with Trevor Semien. I don't know if he could play like he did last week, uh, okay. but we'll find out. Uh, and this game is what, like their third game in the Superdome? So they haven't really played a lot at home yet, and we know it's a really tough place to play, and I do worry about that. It's a really good New Orleans. I, I think it's a, too many points Yeah, uh, I, with a backup quarterback. Yeah, I'm going to have to
0: agree with you. I mean, it's different. It's a whole different situation going into a game, stepping in in, like, the second quarter in a tie game um, rather than being the starter going into the week and having a team game plan for you. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I know it's the Falcons, but I mean, come on, just like, they should be able to keep this
1: within six points. They have to. Right. <laughs> oh man. All right. I'm going to be quick with this next game. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take, it's a uh, Buffalo minus 14 and a half at Jacksonville. I'm taking Buffalo minus 14 and a half at Jacksonville. Uh, the Bills have feasted on bad teams against teams uh, or a below 500 record, I should say. Uh, they are a 4 0, and they have won those four games by an average margin of 28 points per day. They dominate bad teams. Uh, and so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say that that continues. Uh, All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm picking
0: the. Yeah, I'm picking the Bills as well. Um, pretty simple here. They're just
1: so much better of a team. <laughs> yep. Okay. Next one. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. AFC North football. Uh, Cleveland. There's a, a lot going on in Cleveland right now, to say the least. Uh, at Cincinnati coming off a bad loss to the Jets. What do you what do you see here? It's kind of weird, like a interesting game in terms of like storylines,
0: right? And the timing they're going against each other. Um, yeah, both of these teams you. feel desperate in a way. Well, Cleveland more so, but um, right. Cincinnati definitely has something to prove for sure. Um, okay, um, this game. It's all going to come down to, can this Cincinnati offensive line hold up? Um, I mean, we see it in the games where Cincinnati is playing a not-so-good pass rush. This offense pops. When they're playing a great pass rush, like, well, okay, maybe not great. But when they're playing a pass rush that's playing well, this offense looks a little bit more tameable. Um, because there's only so much Joe Burrow can do back there, so I mean, I I think Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney can win these matchups. Um, that's I think that's what it comes down to. I think it's going to be really close, um, but I think I'm going to take the Browns to win the game um, because number one, I like Kevin Stefanski, and I think. At some point, the talent on this team will show. They're getting healthier. Um, I mean, I might be wrong on this, but that that's what I'm thinking. Um, and then number two, I don't trust the Cincinnati offensive line to block Miles Garrett for four, 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 four quarters. I can't talk.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, this game is so tough. Um, I'm coming off three and a half hours of watching the Browns absolutely suck it suck it up against pittsburgh uh, <laughs> yeah. and i'm also coming off watching the uh cincinnati Bengals mm-hmm. lose to the jets in the game which they had a 11 point lead with four minutes left right. um so and it's afc north football it's going to be close we know that and that's why this line is the way that it is vegas knows what they're doing Right. uh I'm actually going to disagree with you, though, and I'm going to pick Cincinnati to, to recover from that Jets loss. Um, look, for a couple different reasons. Number one, the Browns, once again, are struggling to beat good teams. They're now 0-3 against teams that have uh, winning records. Uh, um, their offense – uh, the better part of the last month and a half has looked awful, with the exception of that uh of that Chargers game, um, where they scored forty plus. Uh, they have scored seventeen points or less in four out of the last five games. Um, and look, I saw a lot of people on Twitter blaming Baker Mayfield for for last week and all this stuff. And there's, you know, so many. Uh, fingers are pointing in all different directions uh, but Baker Mayfield uh, he, uh, they should be playing Case Keenum because despite what he may say you can tell he's not totally 100% uh, he you can't fault Baker Mayfield for the struggles especially last week against Pittsburgh He still completed 60 percent of his passes, uh, and that's with seven drops by wide receivers last week, including a couple by Jarvis Langer, who rarely ever draw any All right. So there's a lot of point, pointing fingers here. I don't like the state that they're in uh, going into the game. And I think, as we saw last week, I mean, the Browns really didn't commit to the run game. Uh, much, I thought they should have committed more to the run game in that last week's game against the Steelers. But the Bengals are are well equipped to 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 uh, stop the run. Um, they rank seventh in the NFL in run defense, only allowing about ninety five rushing yards per game. That's exactly what the Steelers did uh, a week ago, as they held Nick up in that rushing attack to under. Uh, a hundred yards and they, they said, beat us, you know, let a uh, physically compromised Baker beat us. I'm not going to really believe in Cleveland until I see this offense regain its confidence and regain its rhythm. And I'm going to count on the fact that Cincinnati um, will do a good enough job uh, with uh, blocking those two edge rushers uh right Pittsburgh we had a rookie starting at at, a, at left tackle a rookie a fourth round draft pick blocking Miles Garrett on Sunday and he did it, I mean it wasn't anything you know to write home about but he did an okay job uh if they can and I think we're really gonna see like how good of a coach is Zach Taylor yeah, a, a really good coach in this spot will have his team like ready to play and like ready to go, especially after a loss to a really bad team, right? Uh, like like the Jets. So we're gonna find out. Uh, this game's gonna say a lot about both of these teams. I I, I think we're gonna get some clarity uh, within the AFC North this week. I believe.
0: Right, and I'm really excited to watch this
1: one. Regardless, I I really like Joe Burrow. I do too. Yeah. All right. Um. He had a sort of a clunker last week, but I think, I think he'll rebound. But uh, it's AFC North football. It's so hard to predict. Yeah. Um, so, we'll we'll see. Yep. Okay, your your Dallas Cowboys are six and one, and they are hosting the Denver Broncos, minus nine and a half. Uh, I don't believe we have a have clarity as to whether or not. Dak Prescott will play, but you know more than I do. So fire away on your pick. Um, all indications are pointing to Dak playing.
0: Um, but, I mean, it's – I mean, we thought that last week as well. Um, and then Cowboys camp said, no, no, we, we're not going to let him play. So, you know, anything can happen. But assuming that he will play – I think the Cowboys should be able to take care of business. Um, I, I, I like this Broncos roster. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think they their team, their team's talent has not shown up the way it's uh, the way it's supposed to their team's talent. um right. Is I believe playoff caliber. If you look up and down this roster, but it just, It hasn't came together. Um, And this is a Cowboys team clicking on all cylinders right now. Um, I do worry a little bit about a letdown game. This does feel like a spot where maybe um, if the Broncos defense steps up a little bit, that they could um, cause a little bit of problems, um, especially since Tyron Smith is out at left tackle. But – I'm just gonna. I'm gonna have faith in my team. I think they can get it done uh, to cover.
1: I think I have to agree with you. I'm going on the assumption that Dak is going to play. Um, I think he will end up playing in this game. Uh, minus nine and a half against the Broncos team. Uh, they're just one of those teams that feel really limited as to what. They can do and how many points they can score uh, offensively. A Dallas team that can put up points in a hurry and is playing absolutely out of their mind. And they're without uh, arguably their best player and Demarcus or their best pass rusher and Demarcus Lawrence. But give credit where credit is due. Uh, and I think. Colin Coward brought up a really good point uh, the other day. Um, Dallas feels like a Super Bowl team because they have playmakers at every single level. I mean, you think about uh, Randy Gregory and uh, when he comes back to Marcus Lawrence on that defensive front. Micah Parsons playing absolutely out of his mind right now in the middle of that defense. Trayvon Diggs in the secondary. On offense, you have all the receivers, including Cedric Wilson, who stepped up big time in place of Michael Gallo. Ezekiel Elliott, who made a huge play late in that Vikings game. Uh, Tony Pollard as well. The tight end group has really stepped up. Dalton Schultz, the offensive line is playing well. I mean, every single group, every single positional group of this Dallas team has a a defined guy that can make plays at opportune times. Uh, and that's why it really feels like with Dak, with a healthy Dak, they feel to me like probably the best team uh, in the NFC right now. Because you think about bigger picture, the Buccaneers are coming off of the loss. They didn't look all too great in that loss. And we know their secondary is still relatively compromise in terms of injuries the Cardinals are a little banged up now they're coming off a loss Green Bay is now going to be missing Aaron Rodgers for at least a a game maybe two games uh in Dallas you look at their schedule it's I mean I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves right now uh but you look at their schedule I mean you tell me what game are they going to lose in the next month um
0: I mean it's a little bit later on but I i probably look at that Arizona game, but you're right. I mean, there's a lot of – there's a lot of games that are really winnable, especially in division games that – I mean, this division is a one-horse race. So.
1: And, of course, we never want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We're just entering November. We know everything changes when you get into November and December football. Right. We, we right, all know exactly. that. Yep. Uh, but based on what we've seen so far, you cannot tell me that like. Nobody can tell me or you that Dallas right now being the best team in the NFC is is ludicrous. I think it's totally, totally plausible that right now they're the best team uh, in the NFC.
0: Right, and I mean, I, I probably um, look at the Rams as a team that uh, look interesting,
1: but you know we're not going to play the Rams this year, so I guess we won't know until the playoffs I didn't mention, I didn't mention the Rams, and we got to talk about them because they just made a a big trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll talk about them for this week's Sunday night game, Uh, and that Sunday night game has probably the two biggest stories in the NFL right now. Uh, Titans lost Derrick Henry and the, the Rams acquired uh, Vaughn Miller. Um, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But next game Houston Texans at Miami Dolphins, two bad teams. <laughs> Miami minus six and a half. Um, and Tyra Taylor is coming back this week. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I did not know that.
0: Yep, coming off IR. Yeah, I I have no clue right now. <laughs> I I have no clue and honestly I don't care. I'm I'm just going to pick I'm going to pick the Texans to cover. Um I don't feel good about it, but I I think maybe having Tyrod back might um bring a little bit of juice back. Um I mean, we saw them uh Play pretty good offensively in the first week. Obviously, that's week one, and it was against the Jaguars of all teams. But um, I do, I do think Tyrod is a much better quarterback than Davis Mills. So uh, it's tough, but I, I'm just gonna go with the Texans because I don't, I don't know who to pick.
1: I absolutely, I agree with you. The more I think about it, it sounds absolutely crazy considering the fact that they have just been awful ever since uh, they won in week one, pretty much. And ever since Tyrod Taylor was hurt, but yes, I do think Tyrod Taylor coming back matters. And I think he can provide them with a certain energy and a spark, even if they don't win this game, I think they can keep it close. Miami hasn't been good. Uh, they have all sorts of chaos going on. Uh, These are two teams both coming into this game on seven game losing streaks. But if you look at the competition, I mean, the Texans have had to play the Rams. They've had to play the Cardinals. uh, The Cardinals. All of the the Bills. Uh, Uh, They've had a brutal schedule. They haven't played a team worse than like the Colts and the Patriots. I mean, that's as easy as it's gotten. And those two teams are like the way that they play, they seem to be like playoff caliber. They seem to be. Even better than their record shows. Um, yet the Dolphins in this seven-game losing streak—they've lost to the Jaguars and the Falcons. I mean, why am I supposed to believe that they're six and a half points better than the than the Texans when they've yeah. played far inferior competition to Houston? Right, and Houston right. has Houston has uh, Tyrod Taylor coming back, so. I'm on Houston, plus six and a half.
0: Yeah, give me that all day, for sure. Um, Next game, uh, Las Vegas Raiders at Mm. the New York Giants. Um, Weird, tough news came out of Las Vegas camp uh, yesterday. Uh, Henry Ruggs is involved in a car crash, a fatal car crash um, uh, where he well a i believe a woman and her dog died uh did uh, you see the, the crash did
1: you did you see the details that came out today um i heard about them but i don't think i got all of them so basically rugs was um double the legal uh blood alcohol content right i knew that 0.161 that's uh a little over double the legal limit of 0.08 um, he was driving at a very 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 high speed 156 miles per hour when Jeez. the collision occurred wow. and uh police found a loaded gun uh in his car um so all of those aspects factor into this He's looking at um, a 20 to 25 year prison sentence if he is in fact charged guilty of a uh, um, DUI and all and uh, death and all this stuff. Uh, it's just bad decision making is terrible, terrible, terrible. You're yeah. about the woman and her dog that burned alive and, you know, the car and all this stuff. But in terms of the football, aside from all that stuff, it's likely that Henry Ruggs will never play football again. Just get over it. Yeah. Um, and if he does, then
0: I, the NFL has some explaining to do
1: because he shouldn't. I, well, he won't. Yeah. He, he's already he, been in and he's going to be in prison sooner rather than later. He already is in prison, but he's going to stay there yeah. um, for, for the better part of his life now. Anyways, from a football perspective, which is what we're here to talk about, um, I think, look, the Giants had an opportunity to steal that Kansas City game and a penalty and a couple penalties here and there and a mistake here and there. Really killed them. It's really been the theme of the season. And ever since uh, John Gruden was, uh, um, I guess, parted ways with the Raiders or was fired or whatever you want to say. Uh, the Raiders seem to be playing at a really high level ever since then. the past two weeks. Um, I like the Raiders. I love the way Derek Carr is playing even without Henry Ruggs. I don't even care. I'm going to take the Raiders minus two and a half at the Giants.
0: Right. I'm, I'm going to take the Raiders as well. I, I think, um, I think this team is good enough offensively to weather that um, weather what happened. And I I think Brian Edwards can at least cover a little bit uh, of that deep threat role as well. Um, And also another player I like is going to be put in a bigger role, Hunter Renfro. He's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. So that'll be fun as well.
1: It will will so we agree there uh moving on we have two interesting games here minnesota at baltimore minus five and a half um for me in terms of this game and this might surprise you a little bit i'm going to take minnesota i'm going to take baltimore to win but i'm going to take minnesota plus five and a half uh, the reason being i feel like people are going to be fading uh the vikings now that they lost to a uh, a backup quarterback uh, at home. Um, And there just sort of seems to be a bad energy uh, in Minnesota right now, but I think Minnesota is going to be able to create pressure on Lamar Jackson. Uh, They rank first in the NFL for and second in total sacks only to the Rams with 24. And you look at this Baltimore offensive line, while it's solid as a whole, um, they've still given up 21 sacks to Lamar Jackson this season. And Alejandro Villanueva, a former sealer at that uh, right tackle spot or left tackle spot, I'm not sure which one he plays, but he's been – I believe it's right tackle. He's been a big liability in terms of this offensive line. I feel like the Minnesota pass rush is going to be able to create some uh, havoc in that backfield with Lamar Jackson. And I also think that um, these receivers of Minnesota, these weapons, and Kirk Cousins, they're going to be able to have some success uh, in the passing game against uh, not-so-great Baltimore secondary to this point. Uh, They're 32nd in passing yards allowed per game coming into this game. And I know I could be totally wrong on this. You have a Hall of Fame really good caliber coach coming off a bye week play Know so what Baltimore is? They have an identity. They're going to run the heck out of the football, and it could just be that Minnesota crumbles uh, down the stretch. But I'm going to take. I feel pretty good about the fact that Minnesota uh, can keep this game relatively close because it seems to me that every game they play comes down to the wire.
0: Yeah, that that definitely is true, and you know that's an interesting angle. Um, I mean, you know, I I would agree with you on that pass rush point, but I think, I think Daniil Hunter is out for the year and that really kind of, that changes things for me a little bit. I mean, I, I know Everson Griffin has been playing fantastic. He's really revitalized things uh, since he returned to Minnesota, but um, I just think, I don't know if I can trust this coaching staff and, you know, they could have a bounce back week. They could come out with a more aggressive game plan it could it could just be that they wanted to play a little bit more safe since they were playing a backup quarterback but um like I said I don't I don't trust this coaching staff to come up with an offensive game plan um that plays to their strengths um and like maximized like they are so set on running the ball on first down and it puts them in second and eight, third and eight, um, and it just puts so much pressure on their offense on th- on second and third down because they're not getting um, a good amount of yards on that first down play. It puts so much pressure, um, so I'd, I'm going to pick Baltimore to cover. Um, I don't feel particularly great about it because I, I think definitely Minnesota is going to look to bounce back, and they have the players to bounce back, but um, I, I just – I don't know if I can trust this coaching staff.
1: This will be a one I have my eye on possibly changing near the end of the episode. Now that I think about it, um, Baltimore coming off a of bye week and they've been sitting on that bad Cincinnati loss at home for two weeks now. They've been thinking about that and they have they have the coach and the like, the, the culture and the system – to where you would think that they're playing at home against uh, a team that seems to be down in the dumps right now. I also think there's a scenario where Minnesota comes out with a vengeance. They're able to move the ball on this uh, not so great. I won't call it a terrible secondary. Uh, I don't think it's that because even though they're last in – yards per game alone I think that can be kind of a sort of a fluky stat if you will yeah misleading uh, a little. I don't I, I don't think that tells the entire story but it hasn't been great right let's just say that it's more secondary of years past let's just say that um, and I think Minnesota can have success and I also think their pass rush I can this is an area where it it does create a little bit of havoc for Lamar Jack. Uh So this game can go one of two ways, I think. Baltimore wins by a decent margin. Minnesota keeps it close and still loses. Uh, but we'll come back to it at the end.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting game. I can see Minnesota keeping it close for sure. Um, so next game um, – New England Patriots, minus three and a half at Carolina. Um This is another interesting one. Um, You it know, is. I I was pretty high on the Patriots coming into the year. Uh, you know, I – You were I, right. I think – I think you were right. But keep going. Yeah, that, it, it's interesting because they started off the year a little bit shaky, but I think things are starting to – work its way out i think they're starting to work out the kinks um in a very belichickian sort of way they always seem to start the year a little bit slow and this year was obviously um compounded a little more because the because of the fact that they have a rookie quarterback in there rather than you know tom brady so um i do think the patriots are a team that's trending up um i think they're playing playoff-caliber football, and I think they'll be able to um, move the ball enough. Uh, the, just the question is, what does Sam Darnold look like against going back up against its Pel- Belichick defense? And I'm not betting on it looking too good because Belichick just seems to have Sam Darnold's number, and Sam Darnold isn't exactly coming into this game playing well either. So far from well yeah I'm gonna take the Patriots um but I do think um the, I do think the Panthers defense is no slouch so I think um if it's decently close if if the Panthers can get a steal a touchdown here and there or a turn turnover here and there they can keep it close but um I just I trust Belichick in this matchup to cover,
1: I think you hit everything I wanted to say. I do have a couple things to add, and I think this is this is going to be my uh, my luck of the week uh, for the minus three and a half um, at Carolina. Um, look, you hit it right on the head. They're trending upwards. They're a team that what you said they would do, and what a lot of people said they were going to be. Uh, coming into the season. They run the football. Damian Harris averaging the six most rushing yards per game in the entire NFL. Um, They have a really good offensive line, solid offensive line. Mac Jones is really exceptional. I'll get more into that in a second. And their defense uh, is playing really good. They're a top-ten defense. Uh, And we know – that they're good on special teams. They're good in all three phases, and they seem to get a play here and there in all three phases to go their way the past couple weeks. Uh, but in terms of Mac Jones, on the 68, uh, basically 2,000 yards. He's two, three yards away from 2,000 yards. And when you really think about it, he's on pace for 4,000 yards passing, which is really uh, something to behold when you think about. Uh, these New England weapons. They, they're obviously improved in that category, but they're still not great um, in everything that's been going on uh, with this New England team. And everyone says that he's checked down Charlie, but he's actually averaging 7.1 yards per attempt, um, nine touchdowns, six interceptions, and a 90 quarterback rating. He's playing really good. Right. And the first couple of weeks, he struggled on those throws, twenty plus yards down the field. Uh, his numbers weren't good uh, the first five weeks of the season. But the past three weeks, um, he's completing uh, about sixty percent throws, uh, twenty plus yards down the field, with two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a one forty two point uh, four passer rating. And that's really the uh, the thing that I thought was missing. And a lot of people agree that I was missing from the new England office was the deep ball component. And I know this is a different conversation for another day, but I feel like a, a Deshaun Jackson, who was just, uh, just released by the Rams could really help them in that department. Um, look, they're playing really well. Carolina is a mess right now. Uh, I know there's a possibility that Christian McCaffrey comes back maybe this week, if not next week. And that, that'll help them of course. But I just don't think they're in a, in a good spot right now. And I think uh, Belichick against Matt rule is sort of a coaching mismatch. Um, right. I it's think, not uh, even like
0: Matt rule is a bad coach. I just know. Belichick
1: not. is. Yeah. yeah. He's going to figure out a way nice. to confuse to confuse and already confuse Sam Darnold. Yeah. Uh, he, he thrives in these spots. So New England minus three and a half. You were right. They feel like a, a, a wild card, a wild card team. I don't think they're good enough to win the division. I do not think they're good enough to win a Super Bowl, but they're definitely good enough and uh, playing good enough football uh, to get into the playoffs and maybe steal a game in the playoffs. Um, so I think they're gonna they're gonna win this game uh, pretty convincingly. Yeah, I'll say one more thing
0: about the Patriots also. Um, I I question their move of if cutting Cam Newton. I thought maybe he would be helpful to this team like just as a um, red zone threat. but I actually think cutting Cam Newton has actually, um, allowed the patriots to work through mac jones's growing pains a little bit and he's finding his way now he's really working through that and um i i didn't see that foresight that maybe they had when they were watching him in camp so yeah
1: credit to them credit to them yeah. um so moving on we're coming down the home stretch here in week number 9 we have a Los Angeles Chargers team that's lost two in a row it sort of looks bad uh, to be honest with you at the Philadelphia Eagles um, Chargers minus one and a half yeah um here, here's what I think about the Chargers I think
0: I think they're la- they're this year's version of last year's Cardinals I think there's a few pockets of this roster that um, need addressing. Um, and I also think they're just a little bit squishy up front in that, uh, defensive line. So I, I, think they, I think that's why they struggle against these physical, uh, brand of football teams. Um, obviously we saw that with the Cowboys. We saw that with, uh, Baltimore and also new England. So, um, it's just that physical brand of football Um, Just running it down their throat, that kind of that kind of style um, that really um, throws them off their game. Um, So. With that being said, do I expect the Eagles to be able to do that against this team? No, Um, (laughs) I I I don't know why this line is so small, to be honest, I, I. Maybe they're seeing something I'm not. But I don't – I mean, I don't see the Detroit um, win uh, as, a, as a real changer of how I see this Eagles team. I, I still think they're not a good football team overall, just offensively. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pick the Chargers to win. I'm going to pick them as my lock of the week.
1: Okay. I like that. I think the line is more so – it's not really the Eagles uh, as much as it is the Chargers, just not looking mm-hmm. uh, the part the past couple weeks. Um, Her has gone to a little bit of a, of a, of a slump here the past couple weeks, but winning doubt pick the better coach and the better quarterback. And I think even though he's new, Brandon Staley is a better coach than Nick Sirianni. And, uh, uh, we all know that Justin Herbert is a lot better than Jalen Hurts. It's not even close. Um, so I think the Chargers—they uh, can't lose this game. I mean, you hate to start. Uh, what was it? Four and one, and all of a sudden be four and four. Like that's not what you want. All right. I mean, even though the AFC is loaded, and there are a lot of like middling teams that are that like four and four uh, range, and you're you're still in it. Uh, you got to beat the teams that you're better than, um, so I think they're going to do that, and I really like it as your as your log. But,
0: right. and and one other thing I'll say is the the Chiefs are still at their back as well. So if they lose this game, um, that really puts a damper on like okay, we have a little bit of a gap, but because the Chiefs already got their win this week, so. Um, I think they know the Chiefs are coming and I think they're going to come out with a little bit of more energy this week. Um, another thing is... Yeah, they really... I, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, you, you finished your point.
0: Um, it, it was actually just another separate point. Um, the Chargers like to run this, like, quarters coverage. Um, cover four, drop back, and they they like to stop the big play. But that really just... Um, for a team like the Cowboys and the Ravens and the Patriots, they're like hell yeah, we'll take those five yard runs all day because that's what that's what a, a defense um, with the safeties back like that gives up. That's that's what they're um, exposed to, and they don't have a Darren, they don't have an Aaron Donald up front that can keep them from giving up those runs. So that's what they're missing. Right.
1: Yeah, and you talked about the division. Like you can't, you can't uh, take this far of a step back in, in that particular division. I mean, even who a lot of people consider to be like playing the worst football in that division. I mean, the Broncos have four wins. Uh, the Chiefs have four wins. Uh, the Raiders have five wins. Um, and the more you fall behind, the 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 worse it is for you. Come later in the season because there are so many teams in contention for those wild card spots in the AFC. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we thought the Chargers could win this division, but now it's like you've got to come out and win this game pretty convincingly. Right. But, anyways, um, on to our next one. It's an interesting one. Um, I know. The Cardinals have some injuries. They say Kyler Murray is going to play. He's likely to play on uh, on Sunday. Uh, but he's got a banged up ankle. Uh, I know DeAndre Hopkins is dealing with something as well. A.J. Green was just put on the COVID list. They're now without J.J. Watt. All, all of these injuries are piling up for the Cardinals, and they're playing at a San Francisco team uh, that feels – Still in that like desperate category here. They've lost seven straight home games. Um, but they're coming off a good win against uh against Chicago last week. So it's Arizona minus two and a half. What is your feeling on this divisional matchup?
0: Um, well, I uh, well, the, some of the things that um I had predicted in that, uh, Cardinals Packers game kind of came to fruition. Um, it was just that running game and, um, they really pounded this Cardinals front without JJ Watt in there. And that's, that's kind of what I worry about in this matchup too. Um, I mean, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo is not Aaron Rodgers, but, um, I'm not sure if you were able to catch that Bears game, but um, I actually that that's actually what the game that was on here in Kansas, and um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo quietly had um, one of the best games that I've seen him play. I mean, he was really sharp throwing down the field. Um, he had uh, a few really great throws down the middle to uh, Debo Samuel that like really impressed me. And he was just really sharp all around. So I think maybe they found something. And I think the, since this offensive line is starting to get healthy again, they've got um, Trent Brown. They got Mike McGlinchey back. Um, I I think I'm going to take the 49ers here. I I, I don't know if they'll win, but I think this game is going to come down to the wire. I feel pretty comfortable saying that.
1: I I agree with you. Um, if Kyler Murray plays, it's unlikely that he'll be 100%. They could be without Hopkins. They could be without... They're going to be without A.J. Green. We know that. Um, so, and they rely on... Those explosive plays. Um, when you look at San Francisco, a couple weeks back, they they held the this uh, Cardinals offense down. And they were at full strength at that point, and they they outplayed the Cardinals in that game. They lost seventeen to ten because their offense was struggling at the time as well. But they know how to stop this Arizona offense. And in that game that they had Trey Lance playing, that was the one game they had Trey Lance play, they stayed in that game. And I think they've created a little bit of momentum now uh, with that victory over the Bears offensively and they're going to be able to um, take it to uh, a Cardinals team that is a little banged up. Um, I don't know if they win, but I feel like this is a spot for San Francisco. They want to get back in this thing. This is where they got to do it.
0: Right, exactly. This is a really big game as well. And, um, you know, I, I think it's probably the most underrated game when you look at this slate. I, I really am interested to see what happens in this one.
1: Right. NFC West football is always – these matchups are always fun. Um, so, moving on, Green Bay Packers – at Kansas City, the line went from basically a pick'em to minus seven and a half uh, in Kansas City's favor. Once the news came out this morning that Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID. So, Emmy, what do you think?
0: I think it's a no-brainer. I I, I think Vegas is underrating the other parts of this Packers team. That's what I, that's what I think. Um, uh, You look at the game the Packers played last week. Um, They ran the football and they um, just controlled the line of scrimmage the entire game. And then defensively, they were the first team all year that was able to keep Kyler Murray in the pocket. Um, And, they they run that cover four scheme. They're they're really disciplined in their coverages, and they're going to get Jair Alexander back as well. Um, I feel really good about picking the Packers here. I I really like this Packers team. Obviously, we're not going to know what we're going to get from Jordan Love, but they're going to lean on this running game. There's no indication to me that Kansas City is going to be able to stop the running game. Um. No. And I just think with the style of defense the Packers like to play, it's going to cause some problems for this Chiefs offense um, because we, we see it. I mean, um, we've seen it over and over again this year. Teams lay back, and we saw it in the Giants game. They give the Chiefs a lot of room. And early in the game, Mahomes was like, okay, I'm just going to dink and dunk. I'm going to hit these guys on the perimeter. But then as the game moved along, he started to get impatient. He started bailing from clean pockets. He started, he started forcing. Um, and that seems to be a common tendency here. And I don't, I don't think it. I'm betting on that showing up again here.
1: We've talked a lot in this podcast about teams that don't necessarily have like the, the greatest records in the world, but we feel like they're playing like playoff caliber football. Uh, the, the Patriots being one of those teams, uh, the Colts being another one of those teams. There's a lot of those teams in the NFL right now. They're hanging like around 500, maybe a little over 500, a little below 500, but they're playing like a lot better football than their record suggests. Um, and look, I think it's um, you look at this Kansas City team. Colin Cowher another great point this week said you know what do they do particularly well right now like they don't play defense we know they can move the ball but when they do they seem to shoot themselves in the foot with penalties and turnovers they don't run the football particularly well their offensive line hasn't been all that great I mean what do they do like well aside from the fact that they have Patrick Mahomes and can strike at any moment like they're not playing good football right now it's just a simple fact Uh, they lead the league in turnovers and it's sort of becoming a wider margin by the week and it's sort of embarrassing Um, until that stops they're not going to be able to be the Kansas City team that we thought they could be because even with this defense I mean you think with a fully like full go uh, Kansas City offense that's like on its shit from week to week and doesn't turn the ball over you think they'd still be able to win a lot of these games and cover the spread but with this defense I think this is a great spot for Jordan Love to enter and to play his to get his first action against the defense that will let you move the football. It's not a whole lot of things that you have to worry about in terms of moving the football on this Kansas City defense. Um, Yeah. They got lucky. I mean, I hate to use that word nowadays, uh, get lucky, but they were lucky uh, that the Giants were incompetent late on offense in that game. They were lucky. Uh, really a were. stupid a stupid taunting penalty uh, pretty much saved the uh the Kansas City Chiefs uh, if they didn't call a taunting penalty on on both of the field and they probably go score at least a field goal considering how they were moving the ball at that point yeah and one last thing I'm not Oh, I'm not going to bet Kansas City until I see, like, otherwise, until they start not turning the ball over, playing a little bit better defense, start running the ball a little bit more. It's just not not a good football team right now. Like, there are probably seven or eight teams playing, like, definitively better football than the Kansas City Chiefs right now. And there are, like, two or three other teams that you could argue that are, like, in that vicinity, but go ahead. So yes, I am picking Green Bay plus seven and a half.
0: Yeah, it feels yeah,
1: like I said, feels like a no-brainer.
0: But yeah, um what I was gonna say was it feels like if if things do go well for Green Bay, obviously it could go the other way as well. But um feels like it's a perfect opportunity to be like watching the new era be offered ushered in for Green Bay because Flashback to 2007, um, Brett Favre got injured. Aaron Rodgers goes in there, and he – I believe it was, like – I don't even know who they were playing, but basically what happened was Brett Favre is playing. He throws, like, three picks. He does his Brett Favre thing. Um, He – like, they were struggling terribly. Um, Like, it looked awful. And then Aaron Rodgers goes in there second half after Brett Favre gets injured. And he just sh- shreds that team and almost comes back and wins. Uh, obviously, it's not the same thing at all, but um, it kind of feels like an opportunity to do a similar type of thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. so on to the primetime games for this week. The Sunday night game, and as I mentioned earlier, Tennessee 6-2. and two another crazy win over the Colts last week at the Rams, who just acquired uh, eight-time Pro Bowl pass rusher Vaughn Miller from the Denver Broncos. So it is Rams, I believe, minus seven and a half here, correct? Yes. What do you think? Um. And I guess the real question is, how much does the Derrick Henry – lost how much is that going to hurt this Tennessee team we know it will hurt but how much I guess the question but go ahead and say what you were going to say yeah I yeah that really is the question and, you know it's
0: it's all just speculation right now because we have we haven't seen them play without Derrick Henry since Ryan Tannehill's been the starter I mean Derrick Henry I think he missed One game his entire career, and that was in his rookie year when he was a backup. So I mean, it's anyone's best guess what this will look like. It's all up in the air right now. Um, And this Rams team on the other side, I don't know what to think of them either because they've had cupcakes these last two weeks. I mean, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's this game is. An absolute, sh- like, I don't want to say shit show, but shit show. Um, they, it, it's, it's just such a difficult game to pick. Um, shoot, man. Um, I'll, I'm gonna pick the Titans to cover just because a lot of these uh primetime games have been close this year. Um, and, you know, I believe in the Titans' pass game to do enough.
1: But I don't know. It's – I don't know. I feel like Mike Rabel still doesn't get, like, enough credit for what he's been able to do yeah. uh, with this Tennessee team, especially when you look at this defense. A defense that I heavily criticized coming into the season, but they've actually been playing some pretty good football as of late, and that's what's led to a lot of these victories. Uh, they're playing opportunis- opportunistic football and forcing turnovers at opportune times. Um, and I just look at the fact that um, look they're out with they're without Henry, but I still think they can have. A competent running game. I don't know. I think they picked up Adrian Peterson uh, earlier this week. I don't know who will actually be playing running back for them in this game. But I feel like the scheme and all that will allow them to run the football. And I think with Julio Jones probably coming back this week, uh, as it says here, uh, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. And I think Ryan Tannehill, veteran quarterback, capable quarterback, we know he can win games. The Rams, their record is good. They, we all know that they have one of the best rosters in the league, and they're probably still one of the best teams in the league, but they've played three straight weeks of cupcakes. like, And sometimes after that, it can be hard to, you know, readjust to the, I don't know, the rigors of the NFL. Uh, and Tennessee is... They're hot. I don't think the loss is going to matter as much as people think. Um, you can still have a a competent running game. Um, so I'm going to pick Tennessee plus seven and a half.
0: Yeah, um, I I agree. I, I think a lot of the points you make made uh, really make sense to me. I mean, I've seen I've been seeing a lot of people saying all this about Derrick Henry was their entire team, like that he, he was the reason they were even good. Like, that's that's ludicrous. I mean, this defense has been playing fantastic football. Um, well, not maybe not fantastic, but good enough football. Um, so moving on to the last game, uh, Monday Night Football, Chicago at Pittsburgh. Um, wow. Um, this is probably a worst case scenario matchup for the Bears. like you finally see some progression from Justin Fields and then next week you've got probably the best defensive football on the road in primetime um what do you think?
1: So it's interesting because up to this point, the Steelers have played the toughest schedule in terms of opponent winning percentage in the entire league. A couple, three, four weeks ago, they were one in three. They were reeling after a loss to Green Bay. In the three games since then, against the Broncos, the Seahawks, and then after the bye week, Cleveland. You look at what's happened, and we'll talk about offense first, because we know the defense is good. We knew that coming into the season. We knew that last year. We knew that for the past couple of years. But when you look at what's happened offensively, the offensive line, it's young. We're starting two rookies on the offensive line. Kendrick Green at center, Dan Moore at uh at left tackle it hasn't been great but it's wor- it's working and it's improving and they're getting a push in the run game something we haven't seen in pittsburgh since Le'Veon bell a couple of years ago when that old offensive line was still like in its prime and was one of the best in the league now we have a younger offensive line and they're starting to play they're starting to get pushed uh, and that's really helping three games Najee Harris, uh, not Najee Harris himself, but three games in a row now, we've had 100-plus yards rushing in the running game. and all three of those games, we have won. And in Ben's career, I think he's won something crazy like close to 80% of his games when he has a 100-yard rusher or the Steelers run for 100 yards. And we know that, that's Steeler football run the run the ball, stop the run, and play play uh, play these close games and grind out victories. Uh, there was a couple of years where it was offense and flash and Marquise Brown and Antonio Brown and all these crazy weapons. Le'Veon Bell and you put up 38 points every week and you hope the defense is good enough. But now it's back to typical Steelers football. Mike Tomlin despite all the circumstances, bad offensive back in Roethlisberger, what seemed to be. Everything, injuries on the defense. I mean, Devin Bush goes down with a groin injury. T.J. Watt down with a, uh, a groin injury. Uh, all of this stuff, and here they are, four and three, and they have the next two weeks, they have uh, the Bears at home and the Lions at home. So if they take care of business, they should be 6-3 and by the end of next week. Um, And, look, I think they will. I think it's a bad matchup for Chicago, one of the worst offensive lines in football. T.J. Watt is second in the league in sacks, uh, despite already having his bye week and missing a game due to injury. Uh, He's still dominating. Um, Alex Highsmith is starting to show himself. Uh, So they still have a dominant edge rushing duo. Uh, The the secondary has been playing better the past couple weeks. Minka Fitzpatrick is sort of turning back into his old self after struggling the past or for the first couple season. I I could be wrong. We all know that historically, even though Mike Tomlin's a great coach, these are the spots that Pittsburgh seems to sort of struggle, even though you think that they would dominate in these spots after a big win, they tend to play down the competition at points and times. Uh, games they should win by a lot, they don't. Uh, and it was, you know. but I, I have confidence this is going to be the game that I think uh, the Steelers offense is going to get to that that 30 point threshold that they haven't reached yet. I think the offense is going to break out this game. Uh, and I think the pass rush will feast on yeah. Justin Fields. Yeah. Um
0: one thing I didn't mention earlier when we were talking about the Chiefs was they did trade for Melvin Ingram um from the Steelers.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that does allow Chris Jones to move inside. But that we'll we'll talk about that more next week. Um in terms of this game, uh like you said, it's it's just a terrible matchup um, for Chicago, but um, I will say one thing, one thing that I I heard from uh, Marcus Whitman or that franchise guy, a podcaster that I listened to. um, He made a, a pretty interesting point. He said that um, he thinks that losing Juju Smith, Smith Smith Schuster actually helped this offense because it Mm -hmm. simplified things and it's one less mouth to feed. So they were able to feed their explosive playmakers and um, simplify this offense a little bit, which is, which is interesting. But I actually think there may be some truth to that. Um, I, I don't think Juju, Juju really fit into what Pittsburgh likes to do, which is that quick passing game and getting it like uh, manufacturing touches for their explosive guys. Um, and Juju isn't that, um, explosive athletically. So, uh, but anyways, um, I mentioned that I watched that Chicago, San Francisco game. And, um, one thing that I will say is, um, it wasn't a fluke that we saw progression from Justin Fields. It was a, it was a better game plan. Um, simply put, they were, Actually, getting him out on out of the pocket on rollouts, they were um, taking shots down the field. They were playing more to Justin Field's strengths, um, which is which is really good to see. Um, but um, I just think it it's not going to be enough. Um, I'm gonna in terms of the spread that makes it's it's tough, um, but. I'm going to pick Pittsburgh to cover. i I' kind of contradicted myself when I was talking analysis, but.
1: Uh. I have three relatively quick things to say. Okay, yeah. Number one, the Steelers team, fantastic uh, on Monday Night Football. Number two, I mentioned Najee Harris and the fact that he's playing out of his mind and starting to get a rhythm in the running game and the offensive line. But Roethlisberger as well. He's five touchdowns, no interceptions in this three-game winning streak. And those first four weeks, we saw a lot of the turnovers that plagued him late last season. uh, Taking care of the football. That's really what we need him to do. He a veteran quarterback, you know how to win these games. Just don't make those mistakes, and hope that this offensive line can give you good enough protection, which it's been doing a decent job at. Um, there's just some pass rushers that are going to get theirs. Uh, Miles Garrett's one of those guys. Like you're not going to hold him down for an entire game. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Um, so that's number two. Number three is you mentioned the Smith Schuster factor, which I think uh, has some validity to it. But this three-game, uh, three-game winning streak has also coincided with the uptick in usage for Pat Fryer, the rookie tight end. Yeah, I said after the during the three-game losing streak, they needed to use the tight end. I mean, they have two really good ones in Ebron and in uh, Friermuth. And I think Friermuth has a chance to be special. I think he's really good. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. And, you know, Ben likes to have that guy in the middle of the field that he can trust. And it's shown the past couple of weeks. And they're getting it to Fryermuth a lot more. And I think he's kind of taking that role that Smith-Schuster had previously. Um, and I think it's really helping. I think it's really helping this offense. So those are the three things I wanted to say. Pittsburgh historically does really well on Monday night. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is, especially at home. Uh, they're also going to be playing their black color rush uniforms uh, in this game. They're seven and no when they wear those uniforms, just saying, uh, and uh, yeah, Ben's playing well. I don't want to jinx it. Chicago has a, still has a really good defense. Uh, but I just think it's sort of a mismatch up front. Right. Uh, as it is a lot of weeks. Yeah,
0: oh, so well. um, that's going to do it for the picks. Um, is there anything that you would like to change?
1: If there was one, and I said it, Earlier, it would be the Baltimore-Minnesota game, Um, just because I think about the fact that the Ravens, coming off a bye week, they have the better coach, they have the better quarterback, they are the better team, they're playing at home, and they've been sitting on that blowout loss to the Bengals for two weeks now. Um, but I don't know if I want to, I think I'm going to stick with my prediction. I'm not going to change it, but I'm going to take the hit. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to stick with what I say.
0: Yeah, I I think, uh, I think it's better for, uh, not to overthink it. I think, um, going with your initial thought has been, Pretty clearly, the best way to go throughout the season, and I've I've seen that firsthand. Um, so, um, yeah, that's going to do it for episode eighty-two, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, uh, I think that was a pretty good episode, me, me personally. Um, yeah, that's that's going to do it. Uh, any closing thoughts? Who we sign All off? I think
1: I'll say is. Um, we're going to have a basketball episode coming out next two, three days, probably pretty sure. Um, it's really exciting stuff. We got NBA to talk about. We're now like two and a half weeks into the season. Um, and of course, college basketball, you know, I love my college basketball. Um, so keep an eye on the lookout for that. At the end of this week, I'll have another Spurs mini episode, probably Saturday or Sunday sometime. Uh, so, Appreciate all the support for that, and uh, yeah, be we'll be back next week for our week ten picks. I know it's crazy. We're already uh, after this week half officially halfway through the NFL season, uh, but now it really starts to ramp up and get a lot more interesting. Yeah,
0: so. it's it. This NFC race is going to be insane. Closing out this year um like i i mean i we say that every year but this year like normally it's like maybe like three teams deep but this year it's
1: five or six teams
0: yeah yeah it really is yeah um yeah it it really really is and um yeah it's gonna be great um but yeah that's gonna do it peace out guys peace